I pray this finds you having a blessed day. Uh, we're actually going to be doing our last lesson on Gideon today. Um, this will be our last uh, episode in the book of Judges as well. Um, we're going to be getting ready to begin a new series that I am really looking forward to. Um, and it's going to be a rather lengthy extended series. And uh, I probably will do a uh, quick introduction to it maybe uh, here soon, uh, doing a simple podcast to just do an introduction. But the idea behind the new series that we're going to be looking at in the podcast is going to be concerning the American church and the American Christian. And we're going to be calling it Dying Dead and Unaware. And what I want to do is I want to look at how that the American Christian and the American church has really taken the simplicity of Jesus' teaching that we see in Scripture. And we've really flipped it upside down. Um, We're really not um, living by the simplicity of the Scripture that, that Jesus teaches. And so what's happened is it's caused a lot of the American church and the people within the church to in essence, really be either kind of living a dying existence and they're completely unaware of it, or they're still actually dead in their sins and they've never been saved and they don't even realize it because they've allowed themselves to become so emotionally religious that they can't tell the difference. Um, because the the church that we live in today, the culture that we live in today is not really teaching and preaching in a way that causes people to understand what it means to be dead in their sins. I met with a pastor this morning for breakfast, and he and I were talking, and that's exactly what we talked about, is that, unfortunately, the modern church in which we live in today, many really have no idea what it means to live the Christian life. We we try to come up and say, oh, we need to do discipleship. Well, that's actually how we're supposed to live daily. Or we need to do evangelism. Well, that, that's how we're supposed to live daily. Uh, that's the Great Commission. As you are going, make disciples, baptizing them, uh, teaching them. Um, and unfortunately, what we've done is we've turned s- certain things like discipleship and evangelism into these little series that we do in order to try to get ourselves to feel better about doing discipleship and evangelism um, for little seasons in our lives rather than that being our life. Uh, you know, another one, Jesus, he condemned the man who built bigger barns, but yet that seems to be what we teach is bigger barn mentality. Um, we have an us versus them mentality in everything that we do. So these are some things we're going to be looking at, and I think that we're going to look at scripturally, um, you know, how things are uh, going to be going. So, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it, but today we still got to finish out the book of Judges. Now, I'm not going to read all of this because it'll take a long time because we're going to be in Judges chapter 7, starting in verse 15, and then we're going to do all of chapter 8. And we're going to really look at this and kind of entitle it, just because you have the best intentions doesn't mean that it works out well. We're going to find that Gideon has, we've, we've walked on this journey with him, and he's been doing so good. He's been growing. Uh, he's had moments 
to where he needed to have his faith, you know, strengthened. He's he's been tested and he's come out. He's been doing well. Uh, but what we're going to find is that Gideon doesn't end well. And it's not because he purposefully did something wrong, but it's because he had the best intentions. And because of a lack of the people having an understanding of who God was, a lack of discipleship, a lack of all of these different things, um, we're going to find that Gideon actually put a stumbling block in front of everybody. So what we're going to find here in verses chapter 7, verse 15 through 23, uh, after Gideon's confidence from hearing the dream, he rallied the people to go fight Midian. If you remember, um, last week we talked about the power of friends and how that Gideon was still a little bit nervous, and God said, you know, I'm going to hand them over to you, but if you're still afraid, do this. And so Gideon went, uh, found out that God was going to deliver him, got the confidence he needed. And so Gideon, with this confidence, he rallies the troops, and God used um, such an unlikely method. God's going to use horns and lanterns. God's not going to use bow and arrows, chariots, He's not going to use spears. He's going to use horns and lanterns. And so as Gideon and the Israelites surrounded the camp, they blew the horns and they ended up breaking the lantern. So think about it from this standpoint. The Midianites are down inside a valley. And during the middle of the night, Gideon and all of the Israelites here, that the 300 that are with him, they all encircle around the valley. And they're standing up over top of them. They've got the high, the high ground. And they end up blowing these ram's horns, and they end up shattering their lanterns. So you think about it from this standpoint, you're sitting here and you're in a deep sleep, and all of a sudden, 300 ram's horns starts blowing at the same time in the middle of the night. It's going to rattle you, you're going to be completely, you know, disheveled, and then all of a sudden you see all of these, you know, uh, this... These lanterns that were uh, that are glowing, uh, it seems like there's so much more than what's really there because it's nighttime, you're disheveled, you know, and all of that kind of stuff going on. Fear came over all the Midianites. And we see in verse 22 here, it says, When Gideon's men blew their 300 ram's horn, the Lord caused the men in the whole army to turn on each other with their swords. So again, just like an unlikely situation with Joshua and the walls of Jericho, uh, God causes the men of Midian to actually turn on themselves and begin to strike each other down. They are so scared and so disheveled that they begin to kill each other. They begin to just attack each other. They're so scared, they're attacking anything that's moving. And so God ends up really allowing Gideon to get victory for a battle that he's not you know, going to do a whole lot in. Now, in verses 24, all the way down to chapter 8, verse 21, we see that Gideon and the Israelites pursue the Midianites who began to flee. Not all the Midianites died, even though they struck each other with the sword and even though they had, you know, all of this stuff going on, they had a group of them that ended up fleeing. Gideon and his men pursued him, and they capture the princes, okay? And they end up killing the princes, but the kings end up getting away. So 
Gideon is wanting to do, you know, full-fledged here. He's wanting to make sure that he takes care of all. Uh, he's not wanting to have uh, any remnant left of leadership. So he takes care of the princes. He starts pursuing the kings. And Gideon ends up pursuing the kings to this little town uh, called Sukkoth. All right? So Gideon asked the men of Sukkoth if they will help provide uh, bread for his soldiers, uh, for the army. In verse 5 of chapter 8, he says to the men of Sukkoth, Please give some loaves of bread to the troops under my command because they are exhausted, for I am pursuing Zeba and Zalmunna, the kings of Midian. But the princes of Sukkoth asked, Are Zeba and Zalmunna now in your hands that we should give bread to your army? Gideon replied, Very well, when the Lord has handed Zeba and Zalmunna over to me, I will tear your flesh with thorns and briars from the wilderness. Man, that doesn't sound like the little timid Gideon we saw not long ago, does it? It doesn't sound like the one who was sitting in the middle of the um, olive press, you know, sitting there, uh, the wine press, trying to take care of the, uh, the grain, who was saying, you know, Lord, who am I? I'm the weakest. He goes and he asks these men, he's like, listen, I need you to provide some bread because my men are exhausted. We need to pursue them. And these people are scared of the Midianites, the people of Sukkoth. And so they said, no, you don't have them in your custody. So since you don't have them in your custody, we're not going to help you out because if, in essence, this is it. If we help you out and they find out we helped you out, they're going to punish us. And so Gideon says, okay, if you want to refuse, I'll remember that. And I promise you, you'll get punished for that. You'll get punished. Well, the same thing happens. He goes to another town, and it's Penuel. And he asks the men there the same exact thing, and they refuse the same exact thing. And Gideon, in essence, says, you know what? Okay, when we return, we're going to take care of you all too. And so what Gideon's doing is he's reminding them, and it's important because it's showing Gideon's boldness here. You know, Gideon was this timid man who was really struggling with what to do, and then all of a sudden, now Gideon is... Um, making sure that his boldness is coming to the forefront. So he's showing how that he's grown the Lord, grown in the Lord. And I think that's big for his people too, because now his people are trusting him more and more. So Gideon and the Israelites eventually capture the kings of Midian, kill them, and then they go back to these two towns, Penuel and Sukkoth, that were referred to, and they keep their word and they take care of the punishment that was, that was uh, promised. And they make sure that they eliminate absolutely everything when it comes to the Midianites and their leadership. Um, Gideon does not allow anything to come about from that. So then we pick up in verses 22 through 38. And this is really the crux of what I want us to be able to focus on. In these verses... Starting in chapter 8, verse 22. It says, Then the Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you as well as your sons and your grandsons, for you have delivered us from the power of Midian. All right, so let's stop right there. Gideon has just finished this massive battle. He has been obedient to God and... uh, One of the things that happens 
And let's just put ourselves in Gideon's shoes for just a moment. Gideon, let's let's go back. All right, chapter 6. All right, chapter 6, verse 5. This is when the angel of the Lord is talking to Gideon. And in uh, chapter 6, I'm sorry, verse 15. Chapter 6, verse 15. Gideon said to him, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's family. You're talking about a a man in Gideon here who recognized that he had no status whatsoever. And now, after defeating the Midianites and the people from the east, the nation of Israel has looked at Gideon and said, We want you to rule and establish a dynasty over us. We not only want you to rule, but we want your sons to rule, and we want your grandsons to rule over us. Now, just put yourself in Gideon's shoes for a moment, because here's a man who had nothing, and now all of a sudden, after this one battle, they are giving him the keys to the kingdom. They are telling him, we want you to be the man to rule over us. We want you to be able to uh, have complete power and control We will surrender to your leadership. The same guy who said, God, I'm the weakest and I'm the youngest and in essence the most insignificant uh, in my family and in Israel is now being given the keys to the kingdom. But I want you to notice what the nation of Israel said here that is really important because they said, for you delivered us from the power of Midian. That is very important because it shows us where the mindset of the nation of Israel was. Okay? The nation of Israel had no desire for God to rule them. None. The nation of Israel only had a desire to have someone, a man, a person to rule over them. That's all they wanted. The the infamous verse all through the book of Judges is, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. That was the mentality. But look what Gideon responds in verse 23. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Wow, this shows such growth from Gideon. I mean, again, you've got to put yourself in Gideon's shoes and realize that Gideon just rejected the keys to the kingdom. He and his family would have been set for life. He would have now been able to be, in essence, this new position because they didn't have a king yet, um, per se. They were still being ruled by judges. But he would have been given the keys to the kingdom. He would have been in charge over everything. He would have been able to establish whatever he wanted. And there would have been no wants that he would not have been able to fulfill. And he turned it all down. He not only said, not, not only will I not rule over you, but my, my son won't rule over you either. You're not going to have my family ruling over you because the Lord is the one who is to rule over you. This is such significant growth from Gideon. It's in this moment that It's kind of like a standing ovation. If you were to watch a Hollywood movie, this is, you know, from gutter to glory kind of mentality. 
This is, at the end of the movie, you saw the guy who nobody believed in, who nobody thought was going to be able to make it. This little scrawny kid, you know, ended up, you know, fill in the blank. Here's the problem. It should have ended right here. But Gideon is getting ready to take a step further. And in taking this step further, Gideon's getting ready with the best intentions in the world to put a stumbling block in front of the people and cause major problems. So let's start here in verse 24. It says, Then Gideon said to them, Let me make a request of you. Everyone give me an earring from his plunder. This is from the Midianites. Now the enemy had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They said, We agree to give them. So they spread out a cloak and everyone threw an earring from his plunder on it. The weight of the gold earrings he requested was 43 pounds of gold. In addition to the crescent ornaments and ear pendants, the purple garments of the kings of Midian, and the chains on the necks of their camels. And here it is in verse 27. Gideon made an ephod from all this and put it in Ophrah, his hometown. Now I'm not going to finish the verse just yet because what I want to do is I want to explain something. You may not know what an ephod is. All right, An ephod would be a garment that the priest would wear. Okay, If you go back and you look at um, how God laid everything out for the nation of Israel and the garments that the high priest would wear, they would wear an ephod, and there was the stones in the ephod. And, you know, it was, uh, it was not to be something that was, in essence, revered or worshipped. It was a piece of a garment that the high priest would wear. So what actually is Gideon doing here? Gideon is making an ephod more as a symbol. What Gideon is doing is, let, let's use it as this example. They've just had this massive battle, and so Gideon is basically saying, you know what, let's take the plunder we got from the battle, let's melt it all together, and let's build us a statue to be able to remind us of the victory we had here. Okay, that doesn't sound bad. People do that all the time. <clears throat> we have uh, war monuments. Um, when you think about the tragedy of September the 11th, we have the Ground Zero um, place uh, area that you can go to that is memorialized. Um, there's a lot of different memorials or statues that people make in regard to um, different events whether it be an event of suffering or an event of victory. So what Gideon does here is he says, you know what, let's make an ephod. Let's let that be kind of a symbol of remembrance of what God has done. All right, here's the problem. The nation of Israel is not following God. Gideon is. Gideon's trying to lead the nation of Israel to follow God. But they're not. Remember, go back up here to verse 22. For you delivered us from the power of the Midianites. The nation of Israel had no perspective that God had done anything. 
And Gideon had to remind him, no, the Lord's going to be the one to rule over you. But what Gideon's intentions were, I'm very sure, was that he was wanting to make this uh, ephod as a remembrance to the nation of Israel to say, hey, let's remember what God did here. And then here's the last part of verse 27 where I stopped reading. Then all Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping the ephod there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his household. Gideon had the best intentions. He was going to make this ephod as a reminder, as a remembrance, kind of as a statue for them to be able to remember what God had done and how that he had uh, destroyed the nation of uh, the Midianites and all those of the east. And because the, the nation of Israel was so far away from God, because the nation of Israel was so far um, separated from what God would want them to do, they took on the ephod and they began to worship it. That became an idol to them. And not only did it become an idol to them, it became an idol so much so that they really forgot about Gideon. The thing that Gideon made to remind them of God is the one thing that they ended up using to replace God. Keep going down. Let's go here to verses starting in verse 33. And I want you to see how sad this goes. When Gideon died, the Israelites turned and prostituted themselves by worshiping the Baals and made Baal Bareth their God. Think about that. Think about all the time that Gideon had just spent tearing down the altars of Baal. Now, to give you some perspective, Gideon tore down the altars of Baal. He ended up being used by God to fight against the Midianites. And between the time that Gideon built the ephod and Gideon died was about 40 years. So in 40 years, they went from having Baal altars and worshiping Baal torn down and destroyed to now they went to full-out blown bell worship again. And see, part of this goes back again to this idea of not living a life of discipleship. It's kind of like living your life to be able to get things done and fit and worked out just best for yourself. It's not living in a life with intentionality. It's not living a life with such intentionality that you're constantly looking to disciple and raise those up underneath you. You know, one of the things that we should be striving to do in our walk is not only have someone pouring into us, but us then pouring into someone else. That's what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is not just something you do over a cup of coffee. Discipleship is something you do every day. Discipleship is something you do in a way that you're trying to minister in every capacity of your life. And what we've done, unfortunately, especially in today's 
American Christianity is we've turned discipleship into these moments that we have, whether it's at someone's house, whether it's on a golf course, or whether it's over a cup of coffee, to where we talk about life for an hour. And then after we talk about life for an hour, we've done our deed. We've done our discipleship, and we kind of move on. That's not discipleship. That's just part of discipleship. Discipleship is as you are going daily in everything that you do, you should be ministering. And what we find here is that the nation of Israel had just quit. The leadership of the nation of Israel had just quit. Everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes and nobody was really growing. Nobody was interested in growing and nobody was interested in helping others grow. It was basically just one of these, uh, I want to make sure that I get mine mentality. And I want to make sure that, oh, Gideon's the, the new guy? Okay, let's support him. You know, Gideon won this battle. Let's put Gideon in charge. It's not that we researched it out. It's not that we prayed about it. It's not that we're looking at things and, and making sure that Gideon is really the guy we want. It's just Gideon's the new hot guy. And what we're doing is we're spending more time just trying to sit down, like the nation of Israel here, and just say, okay, what do we want to do now? Rather than looking at it and saying, what do we need to be doing based on what God has guided us and told us and, and instructed us, it's just kind of being led by emotions. And that's why I think this new series we're going to go in fits really well right here with where we're finishing up with Gideon, is that we're seeing this nation of Israel who's supposed to be following after God, they are just so emotionally driven in everything that they do that they have no stability whatsoever. And I believe that that is the perfect example of the lo- or the, the American church today um, in every kind of locale, whether it's in the East Coast, West Coast, Middle, in the South, in the North. Uh, it just seems like there is this massive problem that we have with emotionally driven churches and Christians today. We're not spiritually steadfast. We're just driven by emotions. We're driven by the newest thing. It's just like I remember when the movie Courageous come out. Every church wanted to make sure all their men were courageous. When the movie um, uh, come out about um, uh, prayer, the war room, every church known to man built a war room in their church because they got hot for that moment. And they wanted to make sure that, you know, they were doing this. And guess what? Those courageous men lasted as long as that little study did. That war room lasted as long as people uh, felt emotionally driven to pray. Those things don't work when they're emotionally driven. We should be living a life of daily prayer, not being excited because we went and saw a movie and all of a sudden now we're like, oh my gosh, prayer works. We need to make a prayer closet. Well, Jesus says that in scripture, go pray in your closet. Why do you need a movie to tell you that? Oh, because we're emotionally driven. We're not spiritually driven. We're not biblically driven. We are emotionally driven today. And so every time there's a new hot study that comes out right now, what's the new hot thing out? Jesus Revolution. So everybody's going and, and, and listen, I went and watched the movie. It's a good movie. Now, is it 100% accurate from what I understand? No. You know, are there some things in there spiritually that I got questions about? Absolutely. But overall, I mean, it was a decent movie. But we're making studies out of it now. We're making all kinds of different things. Everybody's getting all hopped up on, you know, this. And it's just going to be something that comes out, you know, next. Because we're, we're, we're so emotionally driven, we can't figure out what we really need to be doing. So we're constantly changing. Why? Because our emotions constantly change. 
And then look what happens here at the rest of the, the last of the chapter in verses 34 through 35. The Israelites did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hand of the enemies around them. And they did not show kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, for all that he had done for Israel. So not only did they end up going back to Baal worship, they actually isolated and, you know, alienated the house of Gideon. They wanted nothing to do with him. But yet, just a few verses earlier, they were going to make him their ruler. See, that's what emotions do. Emotions are so flippant and emotions change so much, we really don't know what we're doing. And Gideon had the best intentions. Again, I don't believe Gideon made this ephod in order to be able to... um, be a stumbling block or an idol. I think he did it in order to be able to, to give them a statue, if you will, to be able to look at and recognize. But man, they, because they were so spiritually, in, well, and they weren't even following God. And see, that's the problem. We look at our, our churches today. We look at what's going on in the local church today, and we wonder why that so much is going on and why so much is happening. Could it be that we have more goats than we do sheep in our church? Could it be that we have people that are emotionally and morally saved but spiritually lost? Could it be that maybe the reason why so many people are so flippant and so many people are so quick to leave the church and go find a new church and be church hoppers and and church shoppers and all these things is because they're really not following the Lord. They're following what emotionally is going to get them excited? I think so. Now, we don't want to have anybody that's got the guts to say that out loud because, you know, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But I think that if Jesus was able to say that, if Paul was able to write a letter, that's exactly what he'd say. And so that's the topics we're going to be talking about over the next, you know, while as we go through this podcast is we're going to be looking at these things and kind of finding out what is going on and what are we supposed to do about it. If I'm a Christ follower and I see all this stuff going on, what am I supposed to do about it? And how am I supposed to live for Christ in the middle of this? So I think it's going to be an intriguing time as we gather in this podcast. Uh, I I pray that today's been a blessing to you. I pray that you're also looking forward to what's getting ready to come up. If you are, I encourage you to get some... uh, Let somebody know and tell them, hey, check out this podcast next week. This is what they're going to be diving into. Uh, Most of all, I pray if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior that you would understand that Jesus paid your sin debt. He died on Calvary's cross for your sins, was buried in a tomb, rose from the grave, and because he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and because it is finished, the sin debt was paid. But by grace, through faith, you can have salvation. And I encourage you to find somebody that you can talk to that can help you learn more about that and be able to understand what it means to repent and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Also encourage you, if this has been a blessing to you, to give it a rating on whatever platform you listen to it. Uh, leave a review so that way maybe it'll get out there a little more that some people and, and share the podcast with others that you think might be intrigued by it. So we look forward to getting back into uh, a new topic next week. And we're going to take that for a while and see and pray that God will use that in a mighty way uh, to challenge and grow uh, and affect people. So we look forward to being back with you next week.